subject for your consideration tonight is four words from the words of Paul. Think on these things. The New Testament includes 13 letters from the Apostle Paul, nine of them to churches and four of them to individuals. Of the 13 letters, at least four or five are written from a prison cell where Paul has been incarcerated just for preaching the gospel. He writes these final epistles near the end of his life when he knows beyond doubt that he will be executed by the despotic emperor Nero within a matter of months. So you would expect these last letters from Paul to sound somber, even depressing perhaps, but they are far from that. One of his very last letters is written to the Philippians, a group of believers that Paul loved very dearly. More than any other church, the saints in Philippi had supported his missionary ministry, and the Philippian church even made sure that he was cared for while in prison. They kept sending people and things to him. But they know he's going to die, and he knows he is going to die. So the very last thing we would expect the aging apostle to write about is joy. And yet that is the theme of the book of Philippians. How in the world is it possible to write your happiest letter from a prison cell? And yet he does. This is the last chapter. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Stop looking so serious, put a smile on, look at the person next to you and say, rejoice in the Lord always. If they weren't that receptive, turn to the other side and say, and again I say, rejoice. <laughs> the word haro, which is translated rejoice, this is what's key. It indicates not just an emotion we feel, but an action we choose. See, that's the thing. It's not an emotion we feel. It's an action that we choose. You can choose joy, brothers and sisters. And so Paul makes the right choices every day, even in prison, and that's why he has joy. And we read some of his secrets in the next few verses. Here's verse 5. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. The, the, the word translated moderation is epiaikis. And uh, it means gentle or considerate or patient or gracious. That's the moderation he's talking about. He's, he's really saying, be gentle with people. Be gracious. Be considerate. Be patient with people. That's the moderation he's talking about. That you don't always have to get your own way and have your own say. You can be kind. And also, it helps if you want to have joy to remember that your circumstances are not permanent. The Lord is at hand. Jesus is coming, and no matter what you're walking through right now, it's all going to be over before we know it, and we will forever be with the Lord. So the first thing that Paul teaches us in 
verse number five is be kind and be ready. Everybody say, be kind and be ready. Everybody say, be kind and be ready. And then he moves on to the next verse, verse six. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Be careful for nothing and pray about everything is basically what he's saying. Uh, the, the word careful there comes from a Greek word, uh, merimneo, and it means anxious or worried or concerned or troubled. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be worried about anything. Don't be concerned or troubled about anything. He's trying to teach us how to have joy. Is there anybody here that would like to have joy in your life? Well, Paul's got the secret. If he can write about joy from a jail cell, he knows something that we need to know. And, uh, and so Paul, next he teaches us this. Uh, he's taught us be kind and be ready. Everyone say be kind and be ready. And then he teaches us, don't worry, be prayerful. Everyone say, don't worry, be prayerful. Look at your neighbor and say, don't worry, be prayerful. Yeah. Where's my snappers? It's Bible study. You can smile. It's okay. You won't backslide. I promise. Here's a little song I wrote. Might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry. Be prayerful. You got it. Sing. In every life we have some trouble. But when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry. Sing. Be prayerful. Now my whistlers, I need you. Here we go. I can't whistle. It's just a bunch of wind up here. I got some good apostolic whistlers in the house. One more time. All you whistlers, sing or whistle. That's good. Okay, we got to get more apostolic Pentecostal hummers. Here we go. That feels more spiritual, doesn't it? Don't worry. Be prayerful. Oh, we got to do Bible study. Sorry, stop that. Everybody say, don't worry. Be prayerful. Oh, say it again. Don't worry. Be prayerful. Worry is kind of like negative prayer. You know this, right? You're mulling it over and over and over in your mind, and it's getting worse the longer you think about it. Prayer is the positive side of that. You're mulling it over and over in your mind, but you're talking to God about it. 
And it's a lot better than just you trying to come up with something or you worrying about how it's not going to turn out. When you give it to God, you can have joy in the midst of the craziest stuff. You can have joy in the middle of the darkest nights and the worst trials and the deepest valleys. You just don't worry about it. Be prayerful about it. Take everything to God. And then Paul says, here's another secret. He says, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The, the word here um, that is translated peace is a unique word. In the Greek, it's uh, irene. Uh, it means wholeness or well-being or flourishing. If this was Hebrew, it would be shalom. Shalom doesn't just mean peace. Shalom means wholeness or, or fullness or a flourishing life. And, and that's what God wants to give us. God doesn't want his people just kind of getting by, being miserable every day, thinking about all the negative stuff that happens in your life and in, in, in your day. God wants his people to flourish, to be whole people. We're supposed to be holy people. We know that. But you know, God also wants you to be whole people. That, that you're balanced and your life is flourishing and, and you've got wonderful things to celebrate. And so what Paul's telling us here is be peaceful. Everyone say be peaceful. The peace of God. The peace of God passes understanding. You can have peace in the middle of a storm. You can have peace in the middle of a trial. You can have peace in the middle of an opposition from hell itself, but you can have peace because it passes understanding. It's God making your life whole even when the devil is trying to take something from you. Everyone say, be peaceful. And now we come to our text for tonight. Philippians 4 verse 8. These are Paul's secrets to joy. Finally, brethren, this is his conclusion. So he's already told us, be kind. Everyone say, be kind and be ready. That will keep you joyful because you know Jesus is coming. He's going to get us out of here, out of all this craziness. Everyone say, don't worry. Be prayerful. Everyone say, be peaceful. And now he says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. The word think in this scripture in the Greek language is logizomai and it means to consider or calculate. In other places it's translated reckon. It can mean to determine or to decide. So what Paul's saying here is... In addition to being peaceful and prayerful and kind, and in addition to all of that, I want you to be thoughtful. Now, there's two senses of the word thoughtful, of course, in the English language. Uh, but in this verse, thoughtful doesn't just mean being thoughtful like caring or considerate. That's thoughtful, but that's not what this means. This is thoughtful as in meditation, thoughtful as in being attentive or analytical, that you're thinking about something. Be thoughtful. Paul is saying to us, if you want a joyful life, and I would say, and who doesn't, pay attention to how you think. If you want to be happy, analyze what you are thinking about. Remember, 
Brothers and sisters, joy is not a feeling. Joy is a choice. So joy involves much more about thinking than it does about feeling. Much more about your thoughts than about your emotions. And in just this one verse, and it's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. So you know we can't be that long, because surely Woodward can't talk that long about just one verse. Don't worry. Be prayerful. In just one verse, Paul gives us categories of assessment to help us analyze our thought life. Oh, there's more than one, so it could take a while. Um, he exhorts us to choose. Everyone say choose. Choose to think on these things. So what things do we choose to think about? Well, he says, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, these are the things that we should think about. Think on these things. Inc. Magazine published an article five years ago in the month of March 2018. Um, it was titled, Seven Toxic Thinking Mistakes That Will Keep You From Being Mentally Strong. The subtitle stated, changing the way you think will change your entire life. And I couldn't agree more. Just because you think something doesn't make it true. Back that bus up again. Just because you think something doesn't make it true. And yet you're probably like many people. You believe your brain even when there's little evidence supporting what it thinks. Or you believe your brain even when its thoughts contradict the word of God. Let me tell you, your thoughts are just thoughts. But the word of God is truth. It's God's thoughts. It's truth. Now, psychologists call some of these irrational thoughts, they call them cognitive distortions. You may need to write that down, use it with your spouse sometime. You're having cognitive distortions because they won't know what you're saying. The psychologists have repeatedly demonstrated that those kinds of distortions in your mind can rob you of joy. The Word of God does not use the term cognitive distortions. The Word of God would simply and plainly call these things that we sometimes believe lies. And the Word of God also identifies the source of every lie that human beings believe because all lies originally, ultimately, come from the devil. John 8, 44, Jesus said, You are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. The devil doesn't love you. The devil isn't rooting for you. The devil isn't enticing you to sin because he wants you to have a good time. The devil entices you to sin because he wants you to spend eternity away from God in torment where he has to spend eternity. 
He has no choice and it irks him every second of his existence that you do have a choice. So he'll lie to you 24-7, 365 just to get you to choose not to serve God because he would love to see you experience the same eternal torment and punishment that he has to. He was a murderer from the beginning. He abode not in the truth because there was no truth in him. If the devil's telling you to give up on God, give up on church, you're not good enough, you might as well leave, you might as well quit, he's lying. <laughs> he can't do anything but lie. He couldn't tell the truth standing on a stack of King James Version Bibles. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. He's the father. He's the originator of every lie that human beings believe. One paraphrase translates that verse like this. When he speaks a lie, he's speaking his native tongue. The devil speaks lie. And God speaks truth. You've got to decide who you're going to believe. As for me, I'm going to believe God. If it's in his word, I'm going to take it to the bank. Paul said it this way, neither give place. Don't give a foothold. Don't give a toehold to the devil. Don't give the devil an inch in your life or in your mind. That Inc. magazine article lists seven types of thinking errors, seven types. And several of them could have come from Paul's list in Philippians. It's, it's kind of amazing. Uh, one of the things uh, that, that people get in their brain, and it's an error in their thinking, is, they call it personalization. And, and if you, you subscribe to personalization, let, let me just correct this notion. The world doesn't revolve around you. I'm offended, Pastor. Here's how that plays out. People simply don't think about you nearly as much as you think they are thinking about you. I wonder what she's thinking about you. She's not thinking about you. She's got better things to do with her time than think about you. And then there's catastrophizing. That's just a great word. I'd never seen that word before. Catastrophizing. Say that, would you? <laughs> catastrophizing is always assuming a negative outcome, always fearing the worst, and that can easily turn into a self-fulfilling prophecy. But it's actually your reluctance to try that is causing you to fail. You're just projecting yourself out there, and it's always going to be bad. That's catastrophizing. And then filtering out the positive. Do you know it's all too easy to ignore the good and focus on the bad every time? And it's all too easy to focus on the things or the people that you dislike and let them ruin your day. That's an unrealistic view of life. There is more good going on in your life today than there is bad. There are more good people cheering you on and praying for you than you, there are bad people trying to take you out and knock you down overgeneralizing. 
You take any specific situation or any setback that you've experienced and you believe that that's going to apply to your whole life. Because you failed once, you cannot do that. Because you didn't do so great at this test or that assignment or that job, that means you could never do good at anything similar to that. That's overgeneralizing and it's always inaccurate. Believing that you or somebody else is always this way. Couples get into this loop. You always do that. You never do this. You always say that. That's not true. We're not that consistent as human beings that we would always do the same thing or never do that. And then mind reading. Can I just tell you that you never really know what other people are thinking? You don't. They, they could be sitting in Bible study right now while Pastor Raymond is up there so anointed and they're sitting going, hmm, 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 It's happening right now. I feel it. You never really know what other people are thinking, but it's so easy to make false assumptions about what other people are thinking. And those conclusions, you think they don't like you. You think... They're against you. You think that they said something about you one time, and you don't know that for sure. You're presuming, you're assuming, and, and it affects the way you act and, and interact with other people. And then there's emotional reasoning. Oh, this is a big one. Because your emotions are not grounded in reality half of the time. You feel irrational things half of the time. But it's easy to believe that the way you feel is the way things are. Let me give you a good Pentecostal illustration. You come to church, you had a bad day, so you had a bad day. What's that song? There's a Pastor Jack anointing up here somewhere. I think I'm keep stepping in it. <laughs> Where was I? <laughs> it's easy to believe that just because you feel about your day that it was rotten and it was bad, you come into the house of God. And we've got to pry your hands up with a crowbar. Because you're reading your emotional reasoning. Well, it was a bad day. It's not going to be a great service. The boss talked so long in that staff meeting. I know that preacher's going to talk a long time tonight. And you let your emotions have sway over you. And then finally, these psychologists, they identify this, the unreal ideal. Comparing yourself to somebody else who you think is more successful, that is unfair and it is unwise because you don't know what they went through and you don't know what they may be dealing with behind what appears. But see, that kind of unreal ideal, it is everywhere on social media. If you've got social media and you use social media, you need to be careful because comparison with others will keep you from enjoying your own life. They will keep you from having joy. Now, that's a great article. It really is. But it doesn't speak with the authority of Scripture, and Scripture is what governs our life, not some magazine or some psychologist. So I want to return to Paul's list for just a few minutes, and I want to see what God thinks about our thoughts. What does God think about the way we should think? Paul states, we should only occupy our minds with whatsoever things are 
and then he gives us a list. Don't fill your mind with all kinds of other junk. Fill your mind with these things. Fill your mind with these thoughts. Fill your mind with these principles. And if you don't, you bear the consequences of filling up your mind with things that can actually harm you, hurt you, even destroy you. So Paul says what we should think about, whatsoever things are true. Now, you've already heard, I've quoted four or five Greek words, and people say, oh, Greek words. The Bible was originally written in Greek. The New Testament part of the Bible was originally uh, written in Greek. A few little pieces in Aramaic, but mostly Greek. And so when preachers study, the reason they're always saying, in the Greek language it says, it's not because they have a secret code or a cheat sheet or a decoder ring. It's because they can look up words in the original language in a, in a concordance. And it's, it's quite easy to study. And, and you do have to have a few little rules when you use a concordance. If you use one in your personal Bible study, you don't just grab the first definition that you see. Uh, you know, because you can get into some crazy stuff. You have to compare it with the rest of Scripture. Um, like you don't look up in a, you know, hot dog. So, hot and dog. So, a hot dog is a warm canine. You can't do that. You have to study the context. So, some of you that went, whoo, because you were busy going, hmm, hmm, hmm. So, whatsoever things are true. Everyone say True. So this word, in the Greek, it means real or credible or reliable or trustworthy. So here's the test. Every one of these, I'm going to give you a little test that will help you with your thought life. Test number one. Is it true or false? That seems pretty elementary, doesn't it? Unless you've been reading anything online lately. I have never seen any place in the world that has more falsehoods per square pixel than the internet. <laughs> you can find anybody that believes and promotes just about anything. It, it's, it's ridiculous. You know, Beverly and I have had this running discussion over uh, food for years. Because one year, butter's bad. And the next year, butter's good. And the next year, butter's bad again. One year, uh, like this is good and that's good and one year salt and you got to use sea salt and you got to use like camel hoof salt and you got to use like it's just like it just never stops and you can find any of those food rules on the internet and there'll be somebody that that thinks you're just awful if you don't subscribe to that how do you milk an oat oat milk how do you get that just want to know. <laughs> Almond milk. I, I don't understand. <laughs> this can't be Bible study. Somebody just laughed. <laughs> Is it true or false? There's all kinds of falsehood. You shouldn't dwell on things that you don't know are true. And what's your best Geiger counter, what's your best radar on what's true? It's right there, the Word of God. So it needs to be true. And, and then there are all kinds of things in life. I mean, we just went through that crazy worldwide pandemic, and there were all kinds of things, people, this is false and that's false. And how do you even know? So you know what I chose to do? I chose to ignore everything that I could and just concentrate on doing something with my time and my little life. 
When they said I couldn't go, I worked here. When they said I could go, I went there. Is it true or false? That's the first test. And then Paul said, you need to think about things that are honest. And here, the, the, the word honest here means principled or noble or ethical or honorable. It, it, honorable would probably be uh, the way, word we'd use today. And so this leads to another test. Because you know something can be true, but you can hurt people with truth. Something can be absolutely true, but you can just about kill somebody's spirit and their love for God and church by insisting on something that's true. And so this test is, is, is important. Is it respectful or is it disrespectful? If the way you explain doctrine makes people offended, you're not doing it respectfully. If the way you explain an example of holiness makes people want to argue with you and fight you, you're not doing it respectfully. And in your mind, you can have arguments in your mind with people. Do you respect people or do you disrespect people in your mind? If you're having imaginary conversations, and I will confess only one place, I, I, I do well on airplanes even when the people that sit down beside me take up half of my seat. I still do well. I fold myself as narrow as I can, and that's pretty tough for when you're me. And I just tough it out, and I don't get mad at them. I will confess I have one weak area, and I'm working on it. I talk to people from my driver's seat in my vehicle. I talk to a lot of people from that seat. I tell, I'm working on this. I want to be respectful. I want my mind to be filled with good things. I talk to them. Now, Beverly talks to all the people behind us. Don't get so close. Don't hit us. She talks to people coming at us from both sides. I just talk to the people in front of me. And the conversation usually goes like this. Get out of my way. <laughs> but that's not right. So I'm working on that. Is it respectful or is it uh, disrespectful? And then Paul says, here's what you need to fill your mind with. Things that are just. Everyone say just. Now this word means upright, guiltless, faultless. It means somebody who keeps God's laws. That's what it means. It's just in the sense of scripture. That we are a just man or a just woman or justified. So the question here that you need to fill your, your thoughts with. Is what I'm thinking about, is what I'm meditating on, is what I'm uh, thinking about doing, is it scriptural or is it unscriptural? That's an important question for you. Is it just? Don't fill your mind with things that don't help you live as a just person before God. Is it scriptural or unscriptural? And, and here's why. There, there's a lot of things that are true true or false, they pass that test. There's a lot of other things that are respectful, respectful or disrespectful. But if they're not scriptural, and see, that's the battle in our culture today. You've got all these people that are so kind and so thoughtful, it seems. And it seems like all they're trying to do is help people, and all they're trying to do is love people, and all they're trying to do is accept people, and you should too, and you shouldn't be intolerant, and you should be tolerant like us, because we're... we're we, but is it scriptural? Because if it's not scriptural, 
and you're accepting some behavior or lifestyle that could send you to hell, that's not something that you need to be filling your mind with all the rationale and all the thoughts and the arguments behind that. Is it scriptural or unscriptural? Is it just? And then Paul says, um, is, it, is it pure? My goodness, we could get stuck here for a while. Is it pure? This word, as you would expect, means innocent, clean, chaste, modest, holy. And the question's very straightforward and very simple. Are the thoughts you are filling your mind with? You say you want to have a joyful life? You can't have a joyful life if your mind is full of filth. You can't have a joyful life if your mind is filled with lust. Is it pure or is it impure? And in this online, internet, web browser, iPhone generation, you can, in the palm of your hand, send your soul to hell. In the palm of your hand, you can entice your flesh and squelch your spirit. And it is with good reason that Paul writes to us and says, quench not the spirit. You can quench God's voice in your life so easily by what you entertain in your mind. Is it pure or is it impure? And then Paul uses a, a unique word here. In fact, we don't even use this word that much anymore in, in English. Once in a while, you'll hear somebody say it. Uh, it. Things that are lovely. We need to think about things that are lovely. And this word has a unique meaning. Uh, some of these words in Paul's list are only used here in the New Testament. So they're unique words. This word means accepting, affectionate, pleasing, welcoming. So here's how you should be thinking in your mind. And I want to apply this especially to what we do as a church family. Are your thoughts inclusive or exclusive? Do you include others in your thinking? Or do you consciously or unconsciously exclude them? Churches can be horrid places for people to feel unwelcome, unloved, unaccepted. And let me be as clear as I can as one of your pastors that we have to stand against sin because the Bible does and because God does and because sin harms people even while they think it's their right or it's their pleasure to do it. And so we have to stand against what God's word stands against. Let me say it as clear as I can. We don't have to stand against that in a hateful way. Furthermore, we don't have to stand against every little thing in this world. There are enough big battles to fight without powering up on your preference and hurting and offending people. Yeah. People have to overcome sin, and so we're going to help them do that, and we're going to teach and preach about sin and its consequences because that's our job. That's part of preaching the gospel. But what we do not have to do is force everybody to accept our every little Pentecostal preference. Because some of us, we've been around here for a hundred years. We grew up in this. We are dyed in the wool. We, we cut our teeth on Pentecostal pews and some of us chewed the carpet. And we, we, we've been around for a while. And we get by osmosis what is brand new to people that come in here. 
And if somebody comes in here and they're brand new to church and brand new to Jesus and brand new to the gospel, hear me, and brand new to Pentecostal and brand new to apostolic lifestyle, we do not exclude them even subconsciously. They are welcome here. They are accepted here. Furthermore, they may be involved in some sin that is just killing them spiritually. And we know they can't go to heaven if that sin's part of their life. But you are not going to argue them out of sin. And you certainly are not going to hate them or shame them or guilt them out of sin. Let me tell you how you can get them out of sin the quickest. Love them out of sin. Love them when they're unlovable. Love them when they're sinful. Love them when they're addicted. Love them when they don't love you back. Is it inclusive or is it exclusive what you're occupying your thoughts with? Are you lovely in your thinking? Are you loving in your thinking might be our way to put it. And then Paul says, um, you need to think on things that are of good report, of good report. That little phrase means things that are admirable or appealing or attractive or commendable. So this is a very simple one. What you're thinking about in your mind, is it positive or is it negative? Chicken Little joined the apostolic church about 50 years ago. He's in every local congregation. He, he talks to people in the foyer. The sky is falling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Is it positive or negative what you're thinking about? Do you know, do you know when you go through situations... Doctors will tell you this. Health professionals will tell you this. Your attitude says a whole lot about how you're going to do with treatment and how you're going to do with all kinds of things. But I'm not talking about that because I'm not qualified to talk about that. What I hope I'm qualified to talk about is this right here. And the Bible says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And the tongue speaks what's in the mind. So we can pretty much tell if you're thinking positive or negative by what you say. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You're always thinking negative. You're going to be negative. You're not going to have joy if you fill your days with negative thinking every day. You know, it rained today. So, oh, my goodness, it rained today. Tomorrow it's like that sun is burning me alive. Soon it will be, did you feel that cold? My goodness. Just two words. They're in the Bible somewhere. I know they are. Grow up. I am not going to ask you to turn to your neighbor and say that. They probably wouldn't hear you anyway because your neighbor's sitting there going, hmm, 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 hmm. And then Paul ends by saying this, and I'll end pretty close to here. Um, Paul says, if there be any virtue... That's something you should be thinking of. If there be any virtue, and the word virtue, that phrase refers to good things, goodness. So here's, here's kind of two overarching rules, two all-encompassing rules for your thought life at the end of Paul's little list of qualifiers. He says, if there be any virtue, how does what you are thinking about impact your relationships with people? If it makes you love people, if it makes you accept people, if it makes you want to pray for people, if it makes you want to welcome people, it's probably, chances are, it's pretty good. 
if there be any virtue, any goodness toward people. And then he says, if there be any praise. And of course, praise refers to worship. So here's his second and final overarching statement. If there be any virtue, how does what you're thinking about affect all the people in your life? How does what you're allowing in your mind affect your family? Uh, I, I'm sorry, I just need to go back there for a second. Uh, how does what you're thinking about impact your family? Are you so busy that you can't take time for your family because all you think about is your career? Are, are, are you the person that comes home and your family doesn't know whether Jekyll or Hyde is going to walk through the door? If that's you, not only are you not going to have joy, nobody else around you can have joy. So Paul says, if there be any virtue, if there's any goodness in what you're thinking, if it, if it bleeds over onto other people and it's good and it makes them happy and it makes them feel welcome and accepted, then you need to be thinking about that. But if it doesn't, you need to get that stuff out of your mind. And if there be any praise, uh, our worship toward God. So the last overarching question for us is, um, how does what you're thinking about impact your relationship with God? How does what you're reading and watching and interacting with, how does it impact your relationship with God? How, how do your activities and your friendships and how, how do your conversations impact your relationship with God? Because everybody wants a joyful life. But Paul said, oh, joy is not a feeling that just kind of randomly comes on you and some people hit the joy jackpot and some people never get there. No, no, joy is not about your emotions. It's not about your feelings. Joy is about a choice to think on these things. In conclusion, um, Caitlin, come on back and play for me, would you? If we compare Paul's list of the things we should be thinking about, the things we should have in our mind, how our thoughts should be occupied, if we compare Paul's list to David's description of God's word in Psalm 19, it's amazing. You can see a beautiful parallel. You see, the believer who fills their mind with God's word will easily be able to detect wrong thoughts and will easily be able to think on these things. So here's where I'm coming in conclusion. Right thinking is a result, a direct result, of daily meditation on the Word of God. Meditation has been co-opted by all kinds of Eastern religions who are trying to look within to find wisdom. That's not meditation in the Bible. In the Bible, meditation doesn't look within you. In the Bible, you read things like this. I will lift up mine eyes under the hills from whence cometh my help. Meditation looks toward God in the scripture. Meditation looks toward God in the life of a Christian. So people in the world would think this is a waste of time. But if you're a Christian, this is one of the daily disciplines that will directly affect the joy level in your life. Because right thinking is a direct result of daily meditation on the Word of God. Here's David's beautiful description of the Word of God. There's so many parallels to what Paul just told us to think about. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. 
The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right. Watch. They rejoice the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. It's like his heart's about to burst and he's thinking about the word and he says, More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, by the word of God, by the words we find in Scripture, by them is thy servant warned. And in keeping of them, there is great reward. And now he comes to his conclusion. Who can understand his errors? David, I love him. He's so transparent and honest before God. He says, cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. What are presumptuous sins? That's when you go ahead and sin and say, well, God will forgive me because he said he would. And you presume on his grace and his mercy. But David doesn't have that attitude. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Why? Let them not have dominion over me. Something is going to have dominion over you. Something is going to have dominion over your mind. I choose to not let the world, the flesh, and the devil have dominion over me. I choose to let God and His Word have dominion over me. Then, if I do this, then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Every Christian worth their salt is terrified of the great transgression. None of us want to sin, that scandalous kind of sin that could take us out of God's church and, and remove us from a relationship with God and result in us going to hell. If, you're, if you've got any spiritual sense at all, you're terrified of the great transgression. But how do you keep away from the great transgression? I'll tell you, by making good choices every day. By meditating on the Word every day. By making sure your thinking is right every day. Because the battle is not fought in your body. The battle is fought in your mind. That's where the battle's fought. And David ends by saying, I love this verse. You love this verse. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I wish if you haven't done this before, you'd mark that in your Bible or write that reference down or put it in your phone and make it a prayer. If you've never prayed it before, it would be a good everyday prayer for a few days or a few weeks. Would you say that very last verse, verse 14 with me? Say, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Say it like a prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer.
Last verse, and I'm closing. Thank you for your attention tonight. Paul said, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We're not fighting out here. We're fighting in here. We're fighting in here. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Question, where are strongholds? Oh, you imagine them like way out there, the devil's got a fortress. No, 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 no. The strongholds are in Ottawa or Washington or London or some other center. No, 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 no. The strongholds are here. Look at the next verse. Here's what strongholds are. Casting down imaginations in here. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God in here. But aren't you glad the weapons of our warfare, the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the blood of Jesus and prayer, the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God and they can pull down strongholds. Even if you've thought wrong for 50 years, you can turn it around in Jesus' name because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God. Look at that last phrase. And these weapons bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's why you need the Word every day. You don't have to read ten chapters. Read two verses. Pray over them. Talk to God about them. You don't have to try to achieve something. This is not some kind of, of race where you got to beat somebody else to achievement. This is a, a relay race. This is a marathon. This is a long distance run. Get a little bit of the Word in you today. And talk to Jesus about it. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God. Lord, you're my strength. You're my redeemer. I want to cast down imaginations that come from the world. I want to cast down every high thing, every proud human trait that would arrogantly just kind of lift itself up against God. And I want to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. If you want to have joy, if you want to live for God for the long haul, if you want to make it to heaven, if you want your life to count for His kingdom, brothers and sisters, think on these things. Make sure that what you're letting occupy space in here is governed by what's in here. Think on these things. I'm done. Would you lift up your hands and your voice? There's such a beautiful response of the people of God to His presence and to His Word tonight. Let your voice out. Would you do that? And, and just worship Jesus for a moment. I love you, Lord. Your mercy never fails me. Your grace is always enough. Your truth endures to all generations. I love you, Jesus. And I love these people in this church. This is the church that I get to go to heaven from. These are the brothers and sisters that I get to do life with. And I thank you, Jesus, for every one of them. Oh, my. Whew. Your presence is so real and so rich and so sweet and so cleansing. Cleanse me from secret sins and secret thoughts and keep me from the great transgression. Would you stand to your feet? 
And as you do, would you look to one side or the other, front or back, and just connect with one other person or a couple of people. Put your hand on their shoulder, perhaps, or take them by the hand and lift it high, whatever is comfortable for you. And would you lift up your voice just one final time in conclusion, and let's pray for our brothers and our sisters. We're not living this alone. We're not doing this alone. You are not a lone ranger. You are not an island unto yourself. You are not a law unto yourself. You've got brothers and sisters in God's family, and we have a vested interest in you making it to heaven. We have a vested interest in you overcoming your trials. We have a vested interest in you having joy. Why? Because we're all living for the same God, and we're all going in the same direction, and some sweet day, someday soon, we're all going to end up on streets of gold with our loved ones who have gone on before. It's a good life living for the Lord. It's a joyful life living for Jesus. Oh, that's beautiful, church. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I worship you, Jesus. God, for somebody in here that needs forgiveness tonight, your forgiveness flows like a river because it flows like the blood that you shed on the cross of Calvary. Let your forgiveness reach them. Let your forgiveness touch them. Let your forgiveness cleanse them. Let your forgiveness lift them. Let your forgiveness restore them and welcome them back into your family and welcome them back into relationship and welcome them back to peace and welcome them back to love and welcome them back to joy. Let your forgiveness reach them tonight. Let your strength reach somebody else. Your strength is perfect when our strength is gone. Your strength holds us up when we're falling down. Your strength sustains us when we can't sustain ourselves. Let your strength reach somebody tonight. Oh, I thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I worship you, God. I'm sorry, just one more moment. I'm not trying to hold you, but would you just take a a full minute and just lift up your praise to the Lord, your thanks to Him. He means more than all this world to me. Falling in love with Jesus is the best thing that I've ever done. Oh, thank you, God. I love you, Jesus. So Oh, I love you, Jesus. I lift you up. I thank you, God. I thank you, God.